Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Hey, I'm Sarah. When planning our home birth, my husband Matthew and I were really frustrated by the lack of empowering and honest home birth resources. So we created this podcast to start a new conversation for moms and families like us. This is Doing It at Home. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Doing It at Home podcast. Today, we are speaking with Catherine, who not only has two amazing birth stories to share, which she does and gives us some details on those, and it always amazes me how they are all so different. Even the same woman can have completely different birth experiences. So we talk a little bit about that and also our connection with Catherine through a friend, Jessica Moore, the creator of the documentary film, Why Not Home? So Catherine is the outreach coordinator for Why Not Home. And so she is the woman that you want to speak with if you want to do a screening of the film in your community or otherwise. She is who you want to talk to. So I highly recommend doing that because Why Not Home is an amazing film. And we spoke with Jessica back in episode 82. So we talk about that and her long love affair with birth, how she became obsessed with it after a class in college and since then became a certified doula, a certified childbirth educator, and now a mama herself. And she talks about birth as addictive, which I just love and can totally relate to. And also birth, it just works. (laughs) So to hear more of that, listen in on my conversation with Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you because we um, made some cool connections and there's, you know, um, some synergy with the show and other people we've had on the show that you're connected with. And just to put a cherry on top of it all, you spell Catherine the exact same way that my mom spells Catherine. And it's not the most common way to spell it. So I feel I feel a closeness there with you in that respect. (laughs) (laughs) So um, tell us, just to, to kick it off a little bit about yourself, your family, um, and what you're up to out, out there in California. Sure. So I live in the Bay Area of California with my husband and my two daughters, who are four and 20 months old. And I stay home with my girls, which is wonderful and totally challenging at the same time. Great and description. I, I love am that. also the, <laughs> yes. And I'm also the part-time outreach coordinator for the documentary film, Why Not Home, which is about home birth. 
Yes, why not home? We love why not home here. It's so cool. It's like doing it at home and why not home. Um, but we had <laughs> Jessica, Jessica Moore, the creator of why not home on the show um, a few episodes back, um, episode 82, actually, for any of you listening and want to reference that. Um, but what do you do as outreach coordinator? And what what's that about? Yes. So um, I run our Instagram account. So maybe some people listening know us and follow along, which is awesome. And if you don't, you should. And then um, I also help facilitate um, public screenings and licensing of the film around the country and around the world, um, helping just to get our film out to as many families and um, providers as possible. I love it because we need that. Um, we need Why Not Home yeah. in front of as many eyes as possible. If you have not watched it, highly recommend it. Um, in a in a brief, you know, from my perspective, watching it, it is basically documenting uh, healthcare professionals, particularly in the birth world, who are choosing home birth over hospital. So doctors, nurses, midwives who know a lot of the risks, know a lot of the information on, on both sides and are choosing home. Would that be an accurate kind of very short descriptor for someone who hasn't seen it? Yes, that's perfect. Great. Okay. I did great. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so then tell us a little bit about your journey in the birth world, because before getting involved with Why Not Home, you had some experience and were doing your own birth work. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yes. Um, so I am a Midwestern girl originally. I grew up in the Midwest. And I went to college. I did my undergrad at Indiana University in Bloomington. That's where I met my husband. Um, And as an undergraduate, I studied um, human development and family studies. And when I was about, gosh, 19 or 20 years old, I had a professor who was just totally close your eyes and picture this like Birkenstock wearing hippie, like totally professor stereotype, which I don't mean to say that (laughs) in a negative way. She is a wonderful woman who has totally changed my life on a professional and personal level. So um, she was a family studies professor of mine and she taught a class called birth in the family. And it was kind of an elective, you know, you had to take like a certain number of family studies classes, but I had her for another class and she pulled me aside and she was like, you really should take my birth class. I think you would really like it. And I was like, okay, sure. So the next semester I signed up and it was this lecture hall of probably 60 young women. And 
our professor just totally exposed us to this whole other world of birth. Um, and we learned about, uh, we learned about home birth, of course, but it wasn't a class about home birth, but we learned about the midwifery model of care. And we learned about breastfeeding and doulas and just and circumcision and like kind of all baby and mm. family and birth topics, which to a bunch of like 19 and 20 year olds, it's super eye-opening. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of us had no exposure to these topics. And, you know, I sort of grew up with the birth narrative that my mom had had, like from my sisters and me and like what I saw on the media, basically. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, the experience that most of us have. Um, when I was in college, there was a show on TLC called A Baby Story. Yes. Which I don't know if any listeners will remember. It's like terrible. Oh, but I yeah. used to love it. And I felt so drawn to birth and who doesn't love like a sweet new baby being born? That's like amazing. But then once I, once my eyes were opened to the realities of birth, I of course could like no longer tolerate that show or mm-hmm. most depictions of birth in the media because I realized just how sort of skewed and not like on the right that really was. So yeah. my eyes were opened and I just, it was like hooks were put into my heart and my brain. Like I just was drawn in and I was so intrigued. So the wonderful thing about college, gosh, wouldn't we totally go back and do it over again if we could? The wonderful (laughs) thing is that it's your full-time job is to learn new things. That's Mm -hmm. like your main responsibility. I mean, many of us also are working and earning money. That's totally valid. But I had the amazing opportunity of being able to just truly explore this new passion of mine. Like I was in an environment where I was interested in it. So I just kept on studying it. And I did some independent study and I really delved much deeper into the midwifery model of care and what it is. And I studied a lot, a lot of what, a lot of the statistics that are cited in Why Not Home in our film um, became like sort of the basis of my research as I worked my thesis at the end of um, my undergraduate career. So that was really awesome. Met a lot of amazing people and learned so much and when I graduated, um, my husband was doing, well, I graduated, I got married to my husband and he was doing graduate school still. So we kind of stayed in Bloomington. I was working as a nanny and I had a generous friend and mentor ask me to assist her in teaching some childbirth classes. She was teaching. I was totally just helping, but, um, that became the, the way that I dipped my toe into the pool and had a couple of students from the class invite me to join them for their births as their doula. So that was the perfect way for me to try it out in a way. Um, attended a couple of hospital births. And this was back in 2010. And um, birth, anyone of us who have attended a birth or supported a friend or family member or just been with someone giving birth you know that it's totally addictive. <laughs> like I think it's it's all the oxytocin and it's the sweet new baby and seeing how happy everyone is and it's a miracle. Like you see it and you're like, must do more birth. Like <laughs> that's, maybe that's not true for everyone, but I think for us doulas, it, it, it in order to put up with like the things that are hard about it, you totally have that addictive draw. Like it's just so amazing and wonderful that you totally want to do it more. So. 
after that, I decided to come certified as a birth doula. I did that while living in Indiana. Um, and then when my husband finished graduate school, we moved away and I moved my practice up to Boston, Massachusetts, practice there. We ended up moving again um, to the Twin Cities in Minnesota where there's an amazing birth community. Shout out to them. They are very <laughs> well established and have been around for a long time. And that was wonderful to be a part of. Um, so over the years, I also became certified as a childbirth educator mm -hmm. and trained, but didn't certify as a postpartum doula. Um, so kind of, and I also trained to teach moms and babies and yoga at some point. So kind of like was sort of growing my practice as a birth worker and enjoyed supporting um, almost 50 women giving birth. And then um, while we were living in Minnesota, we got pregnant with my daughter, Violet. And should I, do you want to ask me another question? Should I well, no, I, just keep on going? Well, no, you're doing great, first of all. But I'm just okay. curious then through the course of your, your studies and your, your certifications and then the work you were doing mm -hmm. with, in mm -hmm. your own practice, were you pretty clear at that point, even before pregnant, that you would go the home birth route? Yes. Okay. I cool. knew I wanted that. And um, my roots, in my interest in birth were academic, right? Mm -hmm. That's the first way I got interested in birth. Mm -hmm. So if you watch our film, you will see that the research shows that for low risk mamas and babies, that home birth has as good or slightly better outcomes for moms and babies, that for a low risk mama and a healthy pregnancy, that home birth is safe. And that's the data, right? Yeah. But that being said, I think I think as moms, the most powerful tool we have at our disposal is intuition. And mm. I think we should always listen to our intuition in life, but especially as mothers. And I think that being said, even though that's what the research says, I think you should give birth where you feel safe mm -hmm. and the place that's safe for you. And for me, that was at home. Mm. I felt safe at home. I felt that my baby would be safe at home. And the research backed me up and that I think made my husband feel comfortable that mm -hmm. and he'd been hearing me for years. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> so he was like, he wasn't even phased by the time we actually got pregnant. He was like, yeah, okay. I pretty much know what's coming here. But, um, I, I just, I had been to just dozens of hospital births and while I'm grateful for the resources that are available for those of us who need them in the form of, different types of interventions in birth. Mm -hmm. Like, thank goodness we have those things when they're needed. But I, I had seen too much in a way. Mm. Like I had seen some things in hospitals that really scared me. Mm -hmm. And I just, I felt safe at home. <laughs> and I felt that I'd be keeping myself and my baby safe by giving birth at home. So that was right for me. Yeah, I, I love that. And I, I love a lot about what you just said. Um, touching on the, the academic draw to birth. I think that's really cool because for those who have not watched the documentary, one thing I really appreciated about it is its richness of uh, stats, of data, of scientific yeah. evidence, you know, to make, you know, evidence-based decisions. Um, and, and I love that because, you know, sometimes 
with, with certain decisions around birth and parenting or whatever, you know, people say, well, oh, I, I just went with science. You know, I went with the science and that's why they chose, right. you know, that's like the explan- that's like the justification for choosing more intervention mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. the science, it's all science. I mean, <laughs> science states what you just said, a low risk mama has a perfectly, you know, high um, possibility for a completely safe, you know, no intervention needed home birth. Like that's science. <laughs> mm-hmm. So to say like, like yes. you're siding with science did not, does not mean only, you know, modern medicine or, or medical intervention. Like it's all science. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so then as you, as you move forward in, in your pregnancy and you're planning for birth, um, you've had two home births, correct? That's that's awesome because a, a lot of um a lot of our interviews at least up up to date have been mamas of you know one one baby thus far so they're you know they're moms mm-hmm. of one um but we haven't heard a whole lot we have a few but moms who can speak to the different experiences of multiple home births so I would mm-hmm. love mm-hmm. to just like pick your brain on you know some of the differences that popped up or you know some of the highlights maybe some things paralleled each other you know what are what are some things around the births of both of your daughters sure um so we had our first home birth in the twin cities in minnesota okay cool. um, and we had a very textbook pregnancy nothing was weird at all everything was healthy um i can highly recommend chiropractic care Mm. and craniosacral therapy and acupuncture during pregnancy both of my pregnancies could not have lived without those things (laughs) um and it was amazing (laughs) i just loved being pregnant and um thought this is what i've always wanted i'm so Mm. lucky i get to do this and um i was 39 weeks, zero days. It was the 4th of July when I went into labor with Violet and I opened my eyes in the middle of the night. This is like, sounds like something for the movies, but I swear <laughs> this is what happened. I had, I had a surge. I opened my eyes. I didn't say anything out loud, but I said inside my head, this is it. Like oh, wow. from the first surge, I just, I, I just knew it was so weird. Cause I, I don't know if you experienced this, but I think many of us experienced leading up to giving birth maybe for a week or two in the middle of the night, I would have real surges, like mm. a few each night. But it wasn't enough to really wake me up. It was like, oh, okay, I know these are stronger, but they're just a few. Mm-hmm. But that night I woke up and I thought, I'm going to have this period. <laughs> it's <laughs> happening. <laughs> so, yeah, totally. But it wasn't in a panic sort of way. It right. was just this certainty. It was, again, it was that intuition. I love that. I just knew. Even though first baby, 39 weeks, it seemed unlikely right like Mm -hmm. too good to be true in a way but so I continued to have surges throughout the night and the early morning hours probably every seven to ten minutes or so and I kind of snoozed but I was uncomfortable and I was hungry so I went downstairs and was puttering around you know how we're like nesting in early labor my husband the way he tells the story it's so funny because he experienced it very differently. I don't think he really took me seriously until probably 7 a.m. maybe when he could hear me mm. sort of vocalizing. And he thought, oh, wait, she was saying that she's actually like having contractions and it's going to have to be. <laughs> so he got up and helped me and we <laughs> continued working through the morning hours. And I experienced my surges with Violet to be 
withdrawn right away. Like I had always, okay, I'm a childbirth educator. I told all my students in early labor, you'll know you're in early labor because your contractions won't be that bad. You'll pretty much be able to distract yourself. And when you can't distract yourself, then you'll know that it's maybe moving closer to active labor, which I was fine in between. You know how it is. It was, I was fine. Nothing was wrong. I wasn't distressed or anything, but I thought, wow, these are stronger than I expected mm. them to be. I expected to be able to talk through them. But I think we took a shower and we took a nap. I mean, it was definitely early labor and we tried to set, you know, have to set up your bed with all those multiple layers of everything. Yeah. I don't know. I was, <laughs> I was starting to, I was starting to check out by that point, but um, we were checking in with our midwife by phone and um, she had us go out for a walk and it was the 4th of July. So it was so hot and muggy. I did not want to go outside at all. I didn't want to put on clothes. I was like, ugh. But we managed like a slow walk and it was very much this beautiful first labor of progressing slowly throughout the day. And it was just the two of us and we were really enjoying it. And we kind of got to do a little bit of everything, like eating all the foods that I liked Mm. and doing the shower and doing the walk and doing different positions. And our doula showed up about noon, I think. Um, and at this point, I think my first surgery had been like 2 a.m. So that's, it's already been quite a while, but I was feeling fine. I'd had like a couple naps by this point. Um, so she showed up and we decided we would go back upstairs. We lived in a two-story house at the time. So um, I decided I was going to, I had seen this done in home birth before. So I decided I was going to lunge myself up the stairs, like take a few steps at a time and do these big lunges. Oh my gosh, it works. Let me tell you, if you're ever laboring, anybody listening and you're just kind of stuck, like nothing's really happening and you want to like kick it up a notch, go up and down the stairs, do lunging and that will like wiggle your baby right down in there. Because by the time I got to the top of the stairs, I was literally crawling on my hands and knees. Like it's like really the sensation against my cervix. So um, I think um, my husband and my doula, they were looking at the tub and they were trying to work on it. But at that point they sort of dropped everything to call midwives. Um, and I would consider that the beginning of my active labor. Mm. I think that was sort of a transition in my labor because from that point on, I kept my eyes closed. I barely spoke. I was really in that sort of fog of labor, yeah. which is so beautiful. That's mm-hmm. like such a great place to be. Um, I sat on the toilet, which is also an awesome place to labor. I must have stayed there for a while because um, my midwife showed up. I was still sitting on the toilet. I was kind of surprised to see her. My birth photographer also showed up. Um, Everything was going well. And I kept, at this point, I wanted to get in the tub. I kept asking, can I get in the water now? And we had like an inflatable birth tub. So they finally let me get in there. I kept on working and working and occasionally opening my eyes and started getting pushy sometime thereafter must have been late afternoon um and it was a very gradual transition I experienced this similarity between both my births that um I could tell when I was starting to grunt just ever so slightly at the Mm -hmm. peak of each surge like I knew it's almost like okay I know it's coming soon I know I'm going to start pushing soon because I can start to feel that like just like at the peak of each contraction so um started pushing 
continued, continued. And I kept cracking open my eyes. And what I was checking for was if it was still light out, (laughs) which sounds so funny, but I didn't want to know what time it was. I didn't want to ask. I was too far into my like inward labor land, but I thought, okay, as long as it's still daytime, I'm fine. As long as this isn't going into the night, everything's going to be okay. This was like my weird logic inside my head, but yeah, birth brain was really deep. Totally. Yes. <laughs> but it was really beautiful. It was just this slow, intentional experience. And I had written out all these birth affirmations on little index cards that I had used during my pregnancy. And my midwife and my doula were reading them out loud to me. And oh, I love that. they were like rubbing my head and they were putting cold washcloths on me. And um, I didn't know this. They very nicely protected me from this and granted me the undisturbed birth that I so desired. But um, my pushing surges were only 45 seconds long and they were like this apart, which is not a typical labor pattern for the pushing stage. Hmm. Um, that, those are pretty small pushing contractions. But um, my midwife told me afterwards that she could tell that they were strong. I mean, they were, yikes, really strong. And I was sort of giving reports. Like I would check with my finger to see where, how I could feel her head inside mm. my vagina. And it, I was like, okay, it's two knuckles in. Okay, it's one knuckle. Like she knew from what I was saying that even though it was slower than what some women might do, that I was making progress. So mm-hmm. I'm really grateful that the um, caregivers that I had sort of granted me that <laughs> they took good care of me in that way. So I do remember saying, though, like, why isn't she coming? Yeah. And they, they said, everything's fine. You're doing great. But, um, and I don't know what their ultimate motivation was. They wanted me to empty my bladder, which is familiar in birth. Like you don't want a full bladder getting in the way of your baby's head. It's like space is tight in there. So I tried to pee, but I just couldn't. So they made me get out and they said I had to sit on the toilet. And I was like, walk? Like, no, I can't walk. <laughs> like it just, it seemed impossible. Like there's a baby coming out of me. I'm not going to like, even though it was probably literally like 10 steps to the next room, I was like, I can't do it. Not possible. <laughs> but I climbed out of the tub, which I think standing up and climbing and walking probably was helpful too Mm -hmm. um just helping her get that last little like movement that she needed to do um so I sat on the toilet and my water broke flat it was like this pop and it made a big splash on the bottom of the toilet very surprising (laughs) um I looked up at my husband and I said I asked him to get the midwife right away because I don't know why I thought this but I thought the baby was going to come out like right away somehow so I'm like get her in here of course this is the bathroom like the smallest room in the house and you always read in books that um like michelle odont likes to say that women are kind of like a dog or a cat who go into like a dark corner and have their puppies or their kittens right like they'll take the, mm-hmm. d- the darkest smallest most private area in the house and that's where they'll like squat down and have their baby mm-hmm. because they're just trying to get privacy and they're just trying to get an undisturbed birth so we're all crowding into the bathroom and I was pushing and um, I started to feel that burning, stretching. That was the one thing. I felt very calm through all of this. and But that the burning, that was the one thing that I was like, oh, crap. It, mm-hmm. I was scared. Like, mm-hmm. that was the one time. I wasn't panicking by any means. But that was the one time where I was like, 
yeah, I'd rather not. Yeah. If I had a choice right now, <laughs> I'd rather not feel this. Like, I, I didn't want that. I was like, eh, I don't want this. Everything else, I was like, come, baby, mm-hmm. like, bring it on. I was fine with it. But that was the one time when I was like, eh, this is not mm-hmm. so good. I don't want to go through this. So that started happening. So my midwife asked me if I wanted to get back into the tub. Okay, this is my what did you call it? Birth brain. This is my birth brain. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm going to stay here on the toilet because I want to get this baby out. And like my water's breaking. Look, she's starting to crown. Like it's working when I'm sitting on the toilet. So I want to sit on the toilet because it's working and I want to get her out. So I was like, no, I don't want to get back in the tub. And they're like, okay, well then you need to like scooch over one step here. Here's a birth stool. Sit on this birth stool. Mm-hmm. And I was like, can I just stay here? And they were like, well, it's slippery. I don't want to have to catch your baby over the toilet. Just yeah. sit here. It's just like the toilet. It's yeah. like the toilet. Okay. So, so I sat down on the birth stool on my bathroom floor. I pushed a little bit more, a few more surges, and Violet was born. Wow. She was born at 9.34 p.m. Um, so about, what would that be, like 17 hours mm. start to finish? For my first labor, so average, right? Yeah. Like not fast, but not unbearably long by right. any means. Um, she had a pretty short cord. Both of my oh. daughters had fairly short cords. Mm. Um, I don't know what that says about my body, but um, her placenta was born only two minutes after the baby because mm. I think because the cord was kind of tugging on her because uh-huh. the cord was short. So that was really fast. Um, she was crying and crying. She cried so much. She was screaming her head off, but I was <sighs> holding her and. Another similarity between both my births, this is a very primal thing that I had read about in books but didn't think twice about when I actually experienced it, is when I first got my hands on that wet, slippery baby, I was just, like, rubbing my face on her Mm. and, like, smelling her and almost, like, licking her. And just, like, it's a very primal, like, I just wanted to, like, be as close to her as I possibly could. Yeah. Um, And she she quieted down after a minute. But the placenta was born right away, almost before I even had the chance to, like, get my head around what was going on. There was a little gush of blood, like, not a hemorrhage, but enough that my midwife was like, let's get you to bed. I want you to just lay down, Mm -hmm. get, get gravity on your side here. So, um, I stood up. It's such a funny, it reminds me of a procession up the aisle in church because mm. I'm holding the baby. I, somebody was next to me holding the placenta in a bowl. Yeah. And then somebody else was holding a chucks pad around me so that I wouldn't drip blood on the carpet. It was like yeah. this little march, this little slow march with everyone <laughs> like from the bathroom to the bed. It was so funny. I did that with both my babies. So, um, get into bed and the rest is history. Like, um, so Violet had a nuchal hand. Thanks a lot. First baby. So I did have a little (laughs) small tear. Um, so after I snuggled with her for probably an hour or so, um, she went over to my husband and I got a couple stitches and I was of course starving. So I'm eating and drinking and enjoying my baby and while Patrick was holding her he totally pooped all over him <laughs> just like really messy meconium like oh, he had to yeah. take a shower it was really funny I'm like there you go she saved that for you <laughs> well yes I was getting stitched up so the midwife like checked me out they checked Violet out she was doing great and they left and our duo left and our photographer left obviously and Patrick was beyond exhausted like he felt like he had just 
had a really long day. I mean, by midnight, I guess if he'd been awake since like six or seven a.m., that's a pretty long day, but yeah. not that unusual. But I, I don't think he was maybe eating or drinking as much as he could have been. He did, but I think he was not excited. So he was like wiped, I and I was it. like, I feel them. I feel them amazing. Oh. Like, <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. I didn't feel tired at all, and like the thing is, I wasn't even aware of how much time was passing. Mm-hmm. Like to me, it was just. It could have been minutes. It could have been hours. I didn't know. And it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like that long labor, it's just, I mean, I know long labors are real, especially if it has to do with baby's position or first time moms, like multiple day exhausting labors. Like I've been at those many times and I know those are real and terrible, but for my like average quote unquote long first labor, I didn't know or care how much time was passing. So I felt amazing. I had to like take some rescue remedy because I was like, I felt so wired. Like I didn't feel calm or sleepy, but <laughs> babies, newborns, they take that one long sleep. Mm. And I knew I had permission to let her sleep as she would five yeah. or six hours or whatever. And after that, it was starting. So you had to start the nurse every, don't mm-hmm. let them sleep more than three hours. So I knew I had this like one chance to sleep. But anyway, we all went to sleep and the rest was history and mm. I was totally in love and I had this amazing baby moon and stayed in my bed to not go downstairs for seven days like mm. took two baths a day with my herbs and just nursed my baby and ate amazing food and mm-hmm. it was amazing mm. one of the best happiest weeks better than any like vacation yeah I've ever taken it was I was just I felt so in love I had this new best buddy and thought being a mom was just the best thing ever mm. oh. so that was that that was Violet. Love that. I love that. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Um. So then, what were some differences, if any, that popped up with with baby number two or how long was the labor compared these see i'm taking notes for my future (laughs) totally well you know what when i was a doula uh, attending so many births i spent a lot of time around midwives and nurses and sometime around doctors um and i had always heard there's like an old adage that first labor is long the second labor is like lightning fast Mm -hmm. and then the third labor is like a wild card so i'd I'd always heard that and i and i've experienced that that's true like in some ways you it progressively it gets faster each time and I think some women do experience that but sometimes the third can be that wild card anyway so we fast forward Violet about nine or ten months old we moved to California that was crazy new adventure but it's awesome we really like it here mm. um, and when Violet was two 
just before she turned two, I got pregnant with Emmy, my second daughter, and um, had to go through the whole process again of finding a whole new care team, which it was oh, a little yeah. more rocky this time. Uh-huh. And I had, um, I had had a miscarriage. I had one miscarriage before I got pregnant with Violet, and then I had a second miscarriage before I got pregnant with Emmy. Mm. So one miscarriage, okay, normal like super normal, not concerning at all. It was early and uncomplicated, but a second miscarriage that shook me. Mm. Like the first miscarriage didn't instill any fear in me. I thought it was totally part of the normal process, super common. But then I had my second miscarriage. I thought, okay, something wrong with me. Mm. Like, are my babies going to be safe in there in my womb? And like, I was scared, you know? So he, we unexpectedly conceived her immediately following mm. the miscarriage, like that cycle, oh, wow. not really expecting to at all. So I didn't really have any time or space to sort of get my wits about me. I mean, I was of course happy to be pregnant because I wanted a baby and this was, you know, we were planning a second baby, but I was also terrified. Mm-hmm. So um, there was a lot of anxiety through emergency and that, right there is a huge difference. Like mentally I was in a very different place and to you and any other people out there with one child, do not underestimate. I totally underestimated mothering a two year old while being pregnant. Oh dear. (laughs) That kicked my butt. That kicked my butt big time. And Violet is my, she's kind of a fiery little kid. Like she challenges me daily. Mm. We clash a lot. So that's that already. Plus she was two plus I was pregnant and like the emotional volatility that comes with being pregnant. And then the physical discomfort that Mm. makes you sort of impatient, like you feel nauseous or you're exhausted or you're in pain and it's harder to be patient and nice as a mom. So I I totally underestimated that. So the, the pregnancy was hard. It really was. I mean, I was happy and there's a lot of things to love about being pregnant, like having this like cute shape and, having this little buddy wiggling around inside of you all the time. Like that was all awesome, but it was, it was hard. Like I was, I had a lot of anxiety, even a couple like sort of like panic attack moments. Mm -hmm. Like I I wasn't in the place that I would have liked to have been. Mm -hmm. And, but that being said, there's always like an opportunity when you have a challenge in your life. And I was able to be really intentional about self-care. And I learned a lot about self-care as a mother during that stage, which I've carried with me into having now two children, which children, it's like, yikes, you have to do, uh, at least for me, Mm -hmm. I have to do a lot of self-care or else I'm like not a nice person. Um, So my husband was very supportive (laughs) in helping me do whatever I needed to do. Um, I got into a routine of every night after dinner, I would take a walk while he would get Violet ready for bed. And I would walk the same route around and around our little townhome neighborhood and I just would take the same route every night in the dark and I would just talk to my baby it was very meditative mm-hmm. and nice like even now when I walk that route I'm always reminded of my pregnancy so um we had this team of two midwives out here in California we also had a doula and a birth photographer so same structure mm-hmm. again but um totally different team roster right fine. <laughs> okay a totally different roster yeah side note about birth photographers highly recommend it's amazing at home birth. Mm-hmm. It's good in a hospital birth or a birth center too. Like I just highly recommend absolute yeah. treasures. My birth photos are just like, I treasure them so much. 
they're wonderful. Mm. And who doesn't love looking at like beautiful birth photos? So I know. Your friends and family like them too. They're mainly for you, but anyways, highly recommend that if you can swing it. Um, so we're getting later in the pregnancy. Here's another difference. I had, I just, I had some issues. I like my health with Violet's pregnancy was textbook, but this time I think my body was more depleted. Mm. Um, I wasn't nursing Violet or anything, but I had been through like pregnancy and birth and breastfeeding and then mothering is kind of depleting and like stressful on your adrenals. And I just, I don't know if I was like at my peak health as I could have been. So mm. had a little bit of issues with my lab work at the end of pregnancy. Um, and before we could really correct it, surprise, I went to labor oh, wow. when I was only 37 plus four, mm. no, 37, something like that. I think mm-hmm. I was 37 plus three when I went to labor and then I passed the midnight mark. So it was technically 37 plus four when she was born. So I expected her to come early because Violet had been born at 39 plus zero, but I didn't expect it that early. Like I was so shocked. So there is a big difference. She was born significantly earlier. And I was so shocked to the point where I didn't believe that I was in labor. Mm. So that's another big difference. Because the first time I was like, I just knew from the first moment. Whereas this time when I look back, I should have known. It should have been clear to me. The signs were totally all there. And when I look back, I'm like, how did I not believe that I was in labor? But I just thought it was too soon. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, I don't want to get my hopes up. I don't want to get everybody all worked up. Because when you're pregnant, you have every weird sensation under the sun. Like, every weird sensation. So, like, okay, my hip creases feel achy. Like, my cervix feels weird. Mm-hmm. That stuff in and of itself was not that unusual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that, I'm like, okay, I have weird feelings. This is my life every day when yeah. I'm, like, really pregnant. So I didn't even realize, but I think I went on my walk and I just felt there was a bowling ball resting on my cervix. Mm. Like it felt different, but I wasn't, again, I wasn't that concerned. And like we put Violet to bed, we watched the TV and I was feeling achy, but again, not that unusual when you're really pregnant and you have a two year old and Mm. that's kind of normal. So I thought, okay, I'm going to take a bath because I was sort of in the habit of doing that. And this was winter time. So I would do that like most nights of my pregnancy. And I thought this weirdness is going to go away. Like I'm going to take a bath. It's going to relax. I'm going to, I'm I'll relax and I'll just go back to normal. I take a bath. I'm having these sort of like tightenings every two minutes. Oy vey. I can't believe I didn't realize. Anyway, <laughs> so I get out of the bath. I get out of the bath. I'm going around. I start having to have bowel movements. I had like two or three, which like, duh, hello, major sign mm-hmm. of early labor. And I'm shaking. Like, okay, my hormones are ramping up. I should have known. So I think I knew, my subconscious knew, but I don't think I allowed, I didn't admit it to myself mm. in my conscious mind because my husband was downstairs working in his office. I went to the top of the stairs and I yelled out. I'm like, come up here. I want you to set up the birth tub. And he was like, what? Why? Because we had planned to set it up like that weekend. So mm. it would be ready. So I made him come up. I made him start inflating the birth tub. Violet was asleep in her room. So he comes up. He sees me like rocking around and shaking. And he's like, let's call the midwife. I'm like, no. But finally, we're calling. So yeah. <laughs> we call I'm like, I'm setting up the little pack and play that was next to our bed. I'm getting out baby clothes. He was like, what are you doing? I'm calling the midwife. So we call her. She's like, I have one foot out the door here. She's like, I really think this is it. And I was Mm. like, okay, I'll just keep you posted. I don't know if this is really anything. And it was bedtime. It was probably 11 p.m. by this time. Mm. 
So I said, I'm just going to lay down and go to sleep. And if I can't go to sleep, then I will know that I'm in labor. But my husband seemed to accept that explanation as he's like frantically trying to fill up the birth pool with warm water. So I lay down, well, I ate some food. I had like a popsicle, I think. And then I lay down with my hypnobirthing applications, mm. like Marie Mongan's soothing voice in my ear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, my little Emmy in the belly had been posterior throughout my whole third trimester, mm. despite me doing spinning babies like a crazy person. Ooh, here's another tip to any pregnant mamas out there. Spinningbabies.com. I love it so much. Gail Tully is an amazing midwife and just like intuitive body person. And she's an amazing resource, spinningbabies.com. She even has an amazing video series. Highly recommend. You should not go through your pregnancy without this resource. So I'm like babysitting efforts every day. I still have this little posterior baby who just loves to be posterior. And as a birth worker, I'm like, this is right. She needs to be an LOA or at least ROA to be born. She has to be in the right position. So I'm laying in my bed trying to sleep and I feel her turn into an anterior position Mm. and I could feel her little hands and feet wiggling against my spine. And I opened my eyes. I thought, Oh crap. Now she's, I thought, okay, now she's ready to be born because Mm. the majority of posterior babies do turn in labor. Of course Mm -hmm. it's possible for a baby to be born in a posterior position. Mm -hmm. That's like more difficult to push out theoretically, not for everyone. depends on your pelvis, I guess, but I thought, okay, I understand now, Emmy. I understand. I didn't know her name was Emmy, but I understand what you've been doing. You've been having these little early labor surges trying to change your position. Now you've done it. And now it's time for us to do active labor. Mm. I just, that's when I got it. I was like, okay, baby, I get the idea. I know that we're doing teamwork here and Mm -hmm. I hear you. So I sort of sprang into action. I got changed into my little black bra that I was going to wear in the birth tub. And I said, call the midwife, call the doula, get them here. And they were somewhat away. They were like almost an hour away. So I'm like, get them here. And Patrick called back her midwife. She was like, I'm already in the car. (laughs) (laughs) She knew more than I did. So she said it was okay for me to get in the tub. So I did, it was ready. And we blessedly had plenty of hot water in our hot water heater. So the tub was full and it was the perfect temperature So I jumped in there and our midwife, our primary midwife was the first one to show up and I was in the tub, but I was still, I had my eyes open and I was still able to converse with her. Like we kind of had small talk about what we had watched on Netflix that night. (laughs) And I said, I don't know, because I don't, I didn't have that fog that I mentioned in my first labor Mm -hmm. where I just went totally inwards and I just felt, I just, it was like, it's a natural high. I mean, I've never like been high on any other type of substances but I would imagine it's just sort of this blissful like not caring like Mm. cloud that protects you from everything so I didn't I wasn't there so I thought I don't know how close the birth can be because I I'm not there yet she said well this birth might be different which that was news to me I was like oh crap this birth is gonna be different what do you mean (laughs) (laughs) but it was already very different so um my surges were coming fast. There's another difference for you. Every two minutes, bam, bam, like clockwork. Mm. Um, my midwife had been there probably, I would say half an hour, maybe less when I started to feel pushy. And here, here's a similarity. I think I mentioned in my labor with Violet, I knew I was going to start pushing soon. I sort of got that warning, like before she arrived, like I was just starting to feel that slight like gruntiness. 
So she was there. She was watching over me. She was checking my baby's heartbeat and everybody was doing fine. So I started to push and it was totally different than my first labor. The surges were every two minutes for a minute, which Mm. that's like a quote unquote normal. That's a typical pushing labor pattern. That's what you would expect. But dang, either way, it's super hard. Let me tell you, like whether, whether your hips, whether your hips are being pried apart by your baby's head slowly over the course of hours or whether it happens really fast over the course of 40 minutes, you know what? It really hurts. Sorry, babies. It's painful either way, but you also don't care because you're protected by this amazing cascade of hormones. And you Mm. know, it's painful, but for me, I never had any doubt that I could do it. Mm. And I just, there was never, there was no fear. There was no, oh crap, I can't do this. Like once I, with any, once I was in the pool, the birth pool, and I reached in and I felt her head and I thought, what the heck, I can, I'm like touching your head. Like mm. I just went into labor. I just realized I was going to have this baby tonight and I can touch her. She's right there. Like that realization was like, what the heck? Wow. Whereas with Violet, it was this slow, meditative, like journey to meet my baby with Emmy. It was like, I would say like a freight train and it was just barreling through. And I was like hanging on to the back of the freight train, like flying out the back. (laughs) I was just trying to keep up like birth affirmations. No candles. No, like there's no time. Just hold on basically. And it was like, kind of like, yeah, getting run over or getting pulled behind the train. I mean, not in a violent way, but it was just so fast. All I could do was just try to keep up. Mm. And I did, I opened my eyes and I said to my birth support team, like, I need help. Like, I need you to talk me through this because Mm. I was starting to get, it was fear, but it was, it was almost resistance. Like I would feel a surge coming and I'd be like, no crap. Like, I don't, this is not, I I didn't want the surges. I wasn't welcoming them. I was like, oh no, another one, (laughs) which was different than my labor with Violet. So I said, I need help with this. And they were amazing. They just, they talked to me Mm. and helped me. They sort of gave me um, context, gave me a mental script for what I was going through. And my coping mechanism during Emmy's birth was much different than with Violet. Because with Violet, I was very quiet and inward and meditative. And with Emmy, I was literally talking out loud. (laughs) Like a stream of consciousness, all my thoughts were coming out of my mouth. Mm. And it was hilarious. And my midwife was writing down what I was saying and repeated it to me afterwards. It was so funny. Like oh, they would great. feed me sips of, they would feed me sips of water. And I was like, water is awesome. It tastes so good. <laughs> like, I shouldn't be saying this like on the podcast for all the world to hear, but it's kind of embarrassing, but that was my coping mechanism. I was just talking to myself about everything that was happening. And I was saying, come on, baby, come on. Like I'm ready to see you. And oh. um, my water broke and I felt this like pop. I was in the tub. So it was less, dramatic than over the toilet but my water broke and then probably 20 minutes afterwards I pushed her out little Emmy she was almost the same weight as Violet even though she was a week and a half earlier she was six pounds one ounce Violet had been seven pounds five ounces so there's another comparison two babies both exactly the same size she had this perfectly round head no molding at all because of the fast labor so Mm -hmm. she was born at 26 a.m. 37 and a half weeks. So um, I had about two hours of early labor and I had about two and a half hours of active labor. Wow. 
And she was born in the water in our bedroom. Violet slept through the whole thing, didn't wake up at all, which a big part of the reason we had a doula was for her Mm -hmm. because it could have been during the day. We didn't know how long it would go on, et cetera, et cetera. And then we also had a a list of friends who knew they were on the list. They were Mm -hmm. on call, willing to come and pick her up, basically, if she needed Mm -hmm. some more space to just be a kid when this was all going on. But she slept through the whole thing, which is amazing. Um, so Emmy was born in the water. She was so cute. I blurted out her name without really checking with my husband. Whoops. Sorry. Um, I didn't. Yeah. It took me a couple of weeks until I was like, wait, did I even check with you? He was like, no, not really. <laughs> yeah, he said right. he let it slide because of like the effort I just went through. I was like, okay. <laughs> um, so she was born and we had some trouble with her placenta related to my, um, blood work issues that I'd had late Mm. in pregnancy. I had some complications with my placenta post-birth, but um, my midwives were able to handle them in my bed with my baby on me. We were never separated, which is a blessing. That's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. That was, I didn't have the bliss, like idyllic postpartum, immediate postpartum, like hour that I had with Violet. I, it was more like, working hard to try Mm -hmm. to get my placenta out and be healthy. So that was, there was some trauma there, but, um, it came out and it was whole, thank goodness. And Mm. like, no, no drugs were needed. No transfers were needed. Like, I I mean, I, we were both healthy and safe, thankfully. And I mean, I did carefully choose both times, you know, you carefully choose the birth provider who, you feel comfortable with and who you trust and you you do, you choose them and you trust them to make decisions when they're needed. Mm -hmm. And that's why you have them there. Right. Or else you'd be having an unassisted birth. And I, that's never been, that might be right for someone, but that wasn't for me. But so, Mm -hmm. you know, I had her there in case I needed something And this time I did. So that was that I had the same, I tore in the same spot that I had with Violet. I think just sort of along the scar, but we opted not to do stitches this time. So that's another difference. And if anybody is considering that out there, um, I think that was simply a difference in my two midwives. Um, Mm. My California midwife, her style was more like let it heal. And it did. It healed beautifully. Like in my one week check when she came over, when I I was one week postpartum, it was, uh, she, I think she even said like better than I could have stitched it. Like it healed perfectly. So I would recommend that to anybody who's like considering, like That's if your midwife cool. gives you the option, whether you want to be stitched up, I would say don't because mm. getting stitched up the first time was very unpleasant for me, mm-hmm. more unpleasant almost than giving birth. Like I can still feel it more than I thought I was going to be able to feel mm-hmm. it. That was unpleasant. Gotcha. Yeah. Anyway. So yes, but it's similar, like, um, similar sort of thing, the cocooning up in bed and being fed like delicious food and everyone sort of waits on you and <laughs> like makes you feel amazing. Violet did wake up at some point. So she got to come in and see her baby sister. And we had two babies at two home, babies. totally different, but two, two girls, two blonde, blue eyed, amazing girls. So a lot of similarities and a lot of differences. We feel very lucky. Oh, that's magical. That's, I love, I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, one question that I, that came up for me as you were just, you know, just describing both the births as being someone who worked 
you know, as a doula and a childbirth educator and then experiencing birth, are there times where different parts of your brain kind of flip on and off because you know all of what you're experiencing because of your, your studies and your experience in, in witnessing births and in being on birth teams? I'm, I'm just curious. And, and I guess that'd be an interesting thing to ask some of the other women on Why Not Home. Like, are there times where you're, you can't be thinking about what you know about it because you're in the experiential piece of it, or do you flip back and forth? Does that make sense? Are you? Yep. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I, a lot of my friends are my colleagues, right? So I have a lot of, a lot of my friends are also like women of childbearing age and they're also birth workers. So Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of these stories and I hear what you're saying. And I think my experience was maybe not what everyone experiences. But for me, I never had an issue with getting out of my head. Mm, I knew that I know a lot of people do have that issue. Mm -hmm. But when I was pregnant with my first daughter, people would ask me, you know, what do you think? How do you think you're going to go into this birth having been to these dozens of births? And how like, what do you think it's taught you that sort of thing? And my answer was very simple, which is that birth just works. Mm, and that, that. that's probably something you yeah that's probably something you hear a lot in your various conversations for the podcast but it does I mean I had seen scores of women give birth in different places different situations and our bodies just know what to do and I felt really strongly that we just need to get out of the way mm. and like I mentioned earlier have someone there to keep you safe when you need it, you probably won't. I did the second time, but it just, that undisturbed birth was really important to me. And I truly credit that cascade of hormones. Mm. I think if we didn't have that, or if we interrupt it, like let's say maybe we need need or want an epidural for some reason, whether it's for a long labor or because you just want an epidural or for any reason really. But Mm -hmm. if you interrupt that or like maybe you get Pitocin or need Pitocin. Like if you interrupt that cascade, you sort of lose that protective benefit. And I truly think that we're designed to be protected from the hard work of birth. Like we can go through it without mentally going through it. Mm -hmm. Our bodies can go through it and our minds can just be in this amazing other place, birth brain or labor land or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) I always kind of described it as a fog. So the fog was amazing for me. I love the fog. It was much thinner with Emmy. Like with Emmy, I didn't really get the fog, but mm-hmm. I knew that I was fine because I knew I had done it before. So I did have little thoughts here and there, mm-hmm. like, okay, it's almost time to start pushing. I right. knew, I knew, I recognized the signs of progress of labor. But I wasn't like thinking conscious thoughts and analyzing them in my head. But I do think some women do have that experience. Right. Or I think especially like, so I had a, I don't know, this is probably pretty rare in our culture, but I've been through four pregnancies and two miscarriages and two births. Never had a cervical check like ever in my life. So I think like if you were doing that through your labor, that might, that would have there actually was one point in my first labor where my midwife did offer me, she's like, do you want to get checked? Like, 
I hear you starting to grunt a little bit. Would you like to know if your cervix is fully dilated, if you should like avoid pushing or push more? And I was like, I thought about it for several minutes and I ended up saying, no, I don't want, I don't want you to put your hand inside me because I think that would put me, bring me, jolt me back. And I want to stay up here. So I declined for that reason. And it obviously turned out fine. But so I think if you knew, oh, I'm five centimeters. I should be doing this. I should be acting like this for me. And this might not be true for everyone, but I think for me, that would have slowed me down. Big yeah, time. I but I didn't that. have any issues with, I didn't have any issues with, Oh crap, this is going to come next or, Oh, I should be doing this. So that that's great. <laughs> yeah. Put those, Sorry. put that brain away. <laughs> you don't need it. <laughs> uh, Catherine, thank you so much. Um, this, this has been really awesome. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Um, I'm, I'm curious for any listeners who might want to get involved with Why Not Home or maybe host a screening in their town or at their yoga studio like you first were exposed. Um, c- can I put them in touch with you? Can they reach out to you? Absolutely. Info at whynothome.com is my email. Fabulous. Okay, or cool. go to our website, whynothome.com. And there's a form on there you can fill out. Great. Great. I would love to hear from you. Awesome. Well, I'll have links to all of that on the website listeners. That'll be at diahpodcast.com as well. Um, You know, just go to this show's page and we'll have notes in there. And also check out the awesome Instagram page of Why Not Home. And that's at Why Not Home. Um, Catherine, thank you so much again. Give my love to your family and your girls. And um, thanks for hanging out with us on doing it at home. Thank you, Sarah. Quick note about the Doing It at Home podcast. Matthew and I are not doctors or medical professionals, and nothing we say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. If you have medical or health-related questions, please take them to a trained professional. We're here simply to entertain you with stories and conversations about pregnancy, birth, and parenthood. Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% dad-approved? Datages. Hi there, I'm Chad Higgins. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, check out Datages. That's D A D A G E S, wherever you listen to your podcasts. <laughs>